I'm a libertarian. What I'm getting is, did why? you vote for Joe Jorgensen or Trump? Who? <laughs> that was the perfect answer. Thank you. And welcome to the Libertarian Podcast Review Podcast. Yeah. We are here to help you review your liberty-leaning podcasts, critique them unnecessarily, and maybe help you find that autistic liberty star you didn't know you needed to hear. Well, we'll compile some of these and give you a heads up on the best entertainers and influencers in the liberty movement, your hub for all libertarian podcasts. I am Tyler Yonke, and this is the Libertarian Podcast Review, episode number one. Well, today, so I'm going to give you a little intro as to who I am, why I'm even qualified, if you think there's any qualifications to be had with me, and um, kind of what the idea of this podcast is going to be. I think it's going to be something that we can really get into. Well, this show, like I said, it's an attempt to review the libertarian and libertarian adjacent podcasts and video podcasts out there. So send us uh, your podcast, something to review, maybe your favorite uh, show, maybe a show that you would like to look at um maybe your favorite episode or an episode you'd like us to critique as well well maybe we'll go into that we'll gladly give you an opinion of their worthiness of being called a libertarian even if this host doesn't necessarily think so or if it should even be labeled as such first of all who am i my name is tyler yonke um yeah i'm an attorney in california i'm an ancap i'm a former republican I'm a podcaster in the world of cycling. That's uh, bike racing for you, those out there. I have a degree in mechanical engineering that I don't use anymore. I uh, also have a cycling podcast. I have over 215 episodes in the books for that. I've covered the world of cycling, bike racing that is, in Northern California and uh, around the world actually. I've had media credentials for cycling in the Tour of California for the last three years. I've done a bunch of interviews with leading California cyclists, national cyclists, World Tour Pros, those are the Tour de France types for those of you out there. Um, you can check out my podcast if you want to hear about any cycling. I still ride. I'm a former member of a cycling, professional cycling team from the 1990s. I've had a, I've had a pretty good life. Um, I'm also an avid, former avid fan of AM talk radio back in the day, and now podcasts occupy that time. I was a Republican, but I had libertarian views. Uh, for the most of my life, um, I went to the University of Colorado in the 1990s and laughed at the crazy liberals there then. I followed the, polit- the policy of party trumps the person to help the Republican Party line. I thought that was always the best. You know, the, the, the concept of Reagan used to say, you know, um, you only agree with maybe 70% of what your party says or does and therefore, but you know, you build a coalition. That was always the case. Um, Trump changed all that. Well, actually, Trump just pushed me over the edge. I'm not a Trump hater, more like Dave uh, Smith, the comedian says, he doesn't hate Trump as much as the left wants him to. But Trump's election uh, did make me realize that the GOP no longer was a party of principles, if they actually ever were. It just, for me, was kind of that, taking the scales off of my eyes. I left the party officially after Ted Cruz was eliminated in the primary. Yeah, that was the hill I decided to die, to die on. That day, I logged into the California DMV website that <clears throat> officially changed my party affiliation from the GOP to Libertarian. And uh, it's been a quick jaunt downhill since then. I've always had and known about you know things such as the Cato Institute. I read Frederick Bastiat's The Law back in the 1999. Uh, I was a Libertarian adjacent. I had very sympathetic views of the Libertarians. But I didn't know really what there was out there for me. I thought the pinnacle of libertarian philosophy was, you know, free to choose by Milton, Milton Friedman. 
while I had heard about Mises and Hayek, I just thought they were, you know, economic focused, kind of archaic centric, nothing more than that. I was really thirsty for libertarian knowledge and already had a reason.com, uh, I'd reason.com uh, website I'd gone to a bunch of times and I became a magazine subscriber. Then I read a post on there one day from Matt Welch, the editor at large, I believe, about the fifth column podcast. Uh, then that discovery of that tri-hosted semi-libertarian podcast was a gateway to the more seductive world that I didn't know even existed. Camille Foster, one of the hosts there, led me to Thaddeus Russell, which led me to Michael Malice and then Dave Smith. I initially, I say initially, avoided Tom Woods because uh, his thumbnail photo just looked too much like the stuffy old GOP that I was trying to avoid. Tom has since won me over. Uh, Dave Smith is a was a rabbit hole and still is one I'm poking my head into a lot. Dave gave me the insight into Murray Rothbard and the Mises Institute. Whether you're a fan of the Mises Institute or not, the wealth of information and knowledge that place is responsible for is amazing. If the state was ever worried about a libertarian uprising, this place would surely be the first place to go. And maybe that's why you're seeing infighting from the libertarian movement trying to oust them in general. As Mises still exists, we can see that the threat for the, from the liberty movement is uh, not really viewed. Michael Malice uh, often says you take one red pill, not the whole bottle. Uh, and I went from a GOP status to a full-blown ANCAP in about six months. But this wasn't due to taking too many red pills. It was just that line I heard from Rothbard regarding his conversion from minarchism to anarchist. In fact, I heard Austin Peterson during the 2016 election say the word minarchist and it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Totally understood what it meant at the time, though. And I was like, yeah, that's me. The minimal government, really on the edge of no government. But you, of course, have to have government, right? I thought that was the farthest you can go and still hold capitalist roots. Then I heard Malice and Camille Foster use the word anarchist. They were libertarian. In fact, they were both capitalist. Free market, no government, and anarchist. This was actually exciting, and it was somewhat of a relief. Matter of fact, I've had arguments since then with very you know, right-leaning, you know, in-laws, family, um, relatives. I'll just say it that. And they're very much free market types, but they instantly throw up the exact same problems and excuses and pushback to anarchy, free market anarchy that the left does. And my initial reaction was, oh my God, this is an amazing thought free market and no government, it was something I wanted to embrace and it's something I did embrace. So it's always interesting to see the pushback that you get from all types. And why is that? Why, why does a free market person think that the free market couldn't work with libertarian views? So um, Rothbard describes um, in his book, I first heard it um, for a new liberty, how he became an anarchist. He describes a late night conversation with some liberal friends debating laissez-faire and being a minarchist. And I thought we'd quickly play a quote of that right now. So now, and about the same winter of 1949-50, this is, I guess, two or three months later, after my conversion to Austrianism, uh, I, I became an anarchist. And I can remember exactly what happened. The, uh, it was pure logic that did it. <laughs> the, uh, I used to argue with, with two or three very close friends of mine who were liberals, who were very intelligent. <clears throat> We'd have sessions sitting around arguing constantly, right? And we had a similar session in my house, uh, I remember that very, very vividly, 
And uh, we have usual arguments, about 3 in the morning they leave, because as many of you know, I'm a, I'm a night person. And uh, 3 in the morning sort of, you're just, just about average for uh, breaking up an evening. And, uh, and I'm, I thought to myself, you know, something, I, th I think something important happened the night. What in the hell was it? And it wasn't just like the usual argument. <clears throat> and uh, I thought the thing over. I realized what it was, because one of them said at one, at one point, because uh, I was in favor of laissez-faire. I, I was a pure minicus, laissez-faire minicus. Okay. And they, of course, were regular liberals. And they said, look, um, why do you favor government su supply, police force, and courts? What's your justification for that? And I said something like, well, the people get together and they decide that uh, you can have this monopoly court system <clears throat> and monopoly police. And they said, I, th I think very intelligently now, they said, um, well, if the people can get together and say that, why can't the people get together and, and, and set up a steel plant and a dam and all the rest of it, right? Why can't they set up all sorts of other government industries? I thought to myself, I said, by God, they're right. <clears throat> uh, I, I came to the conclusion that laissez-faire was inconsistent. That either you had to go, go over to anarchism <clears throat> and scrap government altogether, monopoly government, coercive government altogether, or else you have to become a liberal. Of course. And that's what it was. His comment to his liberal friends of saying, well, if people could get together and say that, why can't they get together and set up a steel plant, a dam, and all the rest, and all sorts of government industries? What's interesting about that is he was basically converted from a minarchist to an anarchist from his liberal friends. Shouldn't it be, and, and you think about this, the free market types that are pushing this? They're not. But to me, it was pure breathtaking it was simplicity and rationale that went into that and as he said it was pure logic it was exhilarating for me and it was a relief imagine being able to live your life have political beliefs without hypocrisy or as always having to defend that your party's position on why their law should be enforced i had previously in my mind or in my life had made comments to people about how i judged them in terms of morality based on how they viewed taxes they might say, hey, you should have less taxes. Well, if that's the case, why not just abolish them? Dennis Prager says less government means more freedom. But if that's the case, why isn't he advocating for total freedom? Why limited government still limiting your freedom? Since my indoctrination to being an ANCAP, I've read great books in philosophy by Rothbard, Larkin Rose, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Walter Block, Lysander Spooner, David Friedman, Tom Woods, Heinlein continue to find new material. I've taken in more podcasts than a non-autistic person should have, and I've spoken out as an attorney for liberty as best I can. My views on the war, the police state, and politics have drastically changed. Let me show you perhaps why. I'll go into these later in some subsequent shows, but war really seems to be an interesting one to me. I mean, growing up, I'm 49, um, I've been a Republican. My parents really disliked Jimmy Carter. Republican all the way through, and I remember that election well. Um, I was a proud American. Reagan got to me, uh, hope and change. Well, not the change part, just the hope. Remember his campaign of Morning in America? That was a big thing. Hey, the 80s were actually quite fantastic. You got lower interest rates, things were booming, fantastic music, good fashion. He won the Cold War. He was a man that really handed the Democrats their ass. I like that. Then we had the Gulf War. Desert Storm. That happened when I was in college. And we would watch on CNN daily awe-inspiring videos of Patriot missiles and pinpointed airstrikes. It was great. I mean, you know, some, some on campus, they would protest, kind of the old throwback hippie days, 
try to bring in their folk music back. But it, it was the 1990s at that point. It wasn't the 1960s. And I'd read David Horowitz's book, Radical Son, breaking down the destructive ways from the left hippie culture. I also read Whitaker Chambers in his book, uh, Biography Witness, which kind of had similar things about the death of the West due to communism. He broke down, David Horowitz did in a section of the book on the Vietnam War, he broke down the, the war and the protests. I remember him talking about the size of the protests. They drastically changed from when the draft was taken away. You know, Nixon came in, he turned down the draft, they stopped all the protests. He won in landslides. This is, of course, before the whole uh, Watergate issue. These are all true. The Vietnam War was well supported by Soviets and the communist Chinese. I mean, I, I mean, the opponents, you know, they were the Viet Cong. They were North Vietnamese communists. Now, before Trump's election, I watched Ken Burns' documentary of the Vietnam War. I, I suggest you watch it. It's pretty awe-inspiring. Awe is maybe a little bit different way to say it. I remember reading that uh, after Radical Sun about being you know, pro-American, looking for a pro-American book about the Vietnam War, something that would show the correct reasons for entering the war and why we fought and so many died. You know, the bookish defense of the John Wayne in the Green Beret movie holding up the, 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 the weapon, the uh, Russian uh, machine gun to all the reporters berating them, saying, hey, look, this is who is actually supporting the other side. We're not just fighting... The, um, the Asians over here were fighting the Soviet empire. We're fighting the Chinese communists. Well, while watching the documentary, they interviewed an enlisted guy. This was uh, not during the war. Now, he had been enlisted. He had fought early on. Then they started having the draft. He's no longer there. He had gone to West Point. He was, you know, his family was military. He was no lefty hippie, but he started to protest. He got in with John Kerry. Matter of fact, I think he was there when John Kerry threw his medals, the famous thing over the, over the wall or the barriers or what, over the protest. Um, and by the way, he was, why was John Kerry so anti-war then and not now? That's maybe something we could think about. Anyway, the soldier, he did not like the comments of Jane Fonda and their incident in North Vietnam. Remember, she was riding that um, tank, kind of like Ted Turner at, on their honeymoon. I mean, it blew my mind. This guy was anti-war pro-American and anti-communist. Remember, I mean, this is, why would that be the case? Because remember, at the time, almost all the anti-war that you see in the news, in the media, and especially back then, was the Michael Moore types, the Code Pink, Noam Chomsky's, where their ultimate goal seems to be more about not saving our boys from dying, but upholding or not allowing that enemy to be defeated. I mean, that's kind of the way the right pushes that narrative as well to justify the war. But it's also the way that the other side seems to be as well. Remember so many in the 1960s walking around, you may not remember this, but it is a thing, holding a little red book, Mao's riddle, little red book. Mao, a guy that is probably responsible for at least half to maybe more than half of the communist deaths. That's pretty nasty. Well, this eventually led me to Tom Woods. I gave into the, uh, the little square picture. Scott Horton and a rebirth of my admiration for Dr. Ron Paul. Now, I didn't get on board with Dr. Paul in, the, in 2008. I mean, I was a fan of him at the time, but his foreign policy to me just seemed too extreme. I look back with that now and apologize. Now, look, I'm an engineer by trade. I went to, I got a degree uh, in engineering. I don't use it. I'm an attorney at this point. I went to grad school for engineering, kinematics of deformation of foreign bodies or something like that. I went to law school. I own my own firm. Um, I'm pretty good at what I do. I make good arguments, decent podcasts. 
I watched the great Dave Smith and Rob Bernstein on their show. I've seen Dave debate and reach into his obscure books and give me satisfactory answers to very complicated questions. Dave claims no college degree that I know of, but uh, Dave, I would like to know a little bit about your college basketball playing. I've heard you reference that. I've seen Dave debate. He's very good. And he, like I said, no college degree. He's just a comedian. Maybe he does have a college degree. We need some clarification on that. He's also one of the best minds I've seen on Liberty, and he has rightfully gained the name the most consistent motherfucker you know. Thanks, Dave, for the conversion. Put another arrow in your quiver. This is a success story in your case. Now, look, what about this podcast? Not only do I plan on doing a critique of podcasts and a review of the shows, but I also plan on doing interviews with some of the hosts, if they'll take me, and give you some of that inside work as to how it's done. You know, some of their thinking, the stuff that they use, maybe how they even put things together. I just saw a podcast today. It's a video, um, Lockout Days. Young gentleman, I think he's 20 in the libertarian movement. This kid is highly impressive. My son is 20, does not think in these same podcast uh, video uh, libertarian terms that um, this young gentleman does. And it's very impressive. Just saw one of his last videos and he's like, what can you do in the liberty movement? Someone inspired me to do this. Yeah, 49, 50-year-old is getting inspired by a 20-year-old on making content. But it's something I think I could do. And so someone who does a podcast myself, once again, it's called Between Two Wheels. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere else. Um, and you're also welcome to check that out. And also an avid listener of two other podcasts. I just think it'd be cool to discuss how these shows are developed, produced, and thought out. And um, check out my uh, interview style. I think it's, uh, it's not so bad. Okay, what are the overview of the podcast and what would we end up doing? Well, what we're gonna be looking at is anybody's podcast, a video podcast, uh, so almost anything in the Liberty Movement. I think that'd be cool. We'll talk about who the host is. Are they anonymous? Do they have a nom de plume? What's their personality? What's their interview style? What's their opinion on things? Some topics, uh, what do they do in the Liberty Movement? Maybe something specific. Guests, do they have guests? What type of guests? Are they well-known? duration, what's kind of the length of their podcast, how often are they podcast uh, produced. We'll look into some categories too, their intro, their music, their production. Uh, are they done by self? Or are they done with a company? Maybe the sound quality, the editing, we could always bash. And maybe maybe this podcast itself is up for a ridicule. Uh, their ability to insert ads. As someone who takes in a lot of uh, podcasts, uh, there's this gentleman you may have heard of, Lance Armstrong. He has a podcast uh, for cycling. It's about 30, 40 minutes at times. And about 20 of that <laughs> seems to be of all ads. It's unbearable. Joe Rogan, he slams them up front and then has the rest. Or maybe it's like Dave Smith and some of these other ones, Gat Digital, where they just have them inserted at times. You can read about them, listen to them, talk about their underwear. Um, their ability to insert those ads is, is how we look at some of those. Tom Woods, I don't see that he even really does ads. The timeliness of the podcast, do they have a Patreon or other tiered private groups, their outro, some other tangibles, the host's ability to interview, their riffing, their research, ease of speaking, reading scripts, uh, overall impression, libertarian scale, maybe we'll do from left to ANCAP to minarchist, somewhere in the middle. Is it shareable with normies? That's one that, um, like for instance, uh, Pete Quinone is one of my favorite podcast guys. He, he was influential for me as well. I should have mentioned him up front. Uh, but he does go into one of my next topics, which would be conspiracy theory content. Sometimes he, he ventures into that. But I always enjoy Pete's uh, stable mind on that. All right, so what are we going to do? Well, who's going to be up first on this? So the next show. Who's first on the list? Um, 
I think I've decided to do this guy, Liberty Lockdown, okay? Um, I think it's, uh, what's he on? Liberty Lockpod on Twitter. He had sent me, and we had tweeted back and forth once about his own show, and I think it was episode 27 called Converting a Non-Believer. And with that, he had um, basically said this was going to revolutionize the way that people convert people to liberty. Now, we all have different ways. Like, look, I just told my my conversion story, my origin story. It, for me, it was a long time coming, and then it was, boom, hammer to the head, and that's how we got here. But for others, um, he believes that he has this ability, or at least this one conversation. So I thought I would take him on a little podcast. Now, he's, he's growing. I think he started, he has 40-some episodes. He's been growing. He started doing things during the lockdown, and um, pretty interesting guy. So I think we'll start with him. We'll hit those big guys. Send me some of these other ones. We'll do videos. We'll do podcasts. We'll get them all in there. You know what I'm also going to do? Well, I think we'll take some of these on the, like I said, on the edge of libertarianism. Is Ben Shapiro as an example? Is he a libertarian? Maybe not enough for you. Glenn Beck, some of these others. I'm not going to deal with conservative only, but maybe some of those that are on that edge. And I think I have a, a view from that side. And I would like to also take in these other left libertarian stuff and, and view them as well. We're going to give them a fair shake for the podcast and the production and all that. But then we're also going to talk about their views. And I think that would be uh, an interesting thing. So anyway, well, like I said, we'll start with this Liberty Lockdown. He also uh, likes volleyball, which I coach high school volleyball when they used to have school. So I thought that would also be a possible thing for us to take a, take a look at. All right, everybody, I appreciate you checking this out. We'll get more going up here. We're going to be at this point only on YouTube. So that's where we're at. But I mean, I do plan on getting an audio version out as well. This has been episode one of the Libertarian Podcast Review. Just an intro, giving you an introduction to who I am, why I would even be qualified <laughs> if you think there's any qualifications possible for a podcast. Check us out. Smash that like button. Uh, follow us so you can at least get notifications and we will see you on the next one.